Hey, we are wrapping up our mini-series on Disrupted by Peace. Week one, John Safarian brought us God's word, and he reminded us that it is through Jesus that we have peace with God. And then last week, we talked about Jesus and his humanity showed us what it looked like to live at peace with God and the confidence that he displayed in his perfect relationship with his Father and his identity that was uniquely his that he lived out and his purpose that became his very energy and what drove him forward. And we're going to wrap things up today by looking at Jesus and how he was able to take peace with him wherever he went. And kind of like us, we, there are certain things that we bring with us wherever we go, right? As adults, unfortunately, they tend to be more practical things. Now, you guys are going to laugh at me, but I know you guys all do the same thing, right? It's like the adult version of the head, knee, knees, and shoulders. What is it? Head, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. I'm looking at my wife. Head, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, right? But instead, it's keys, wallet, phone, mask, right? Keys, wallet, phone, mask. You get it? And you can, you can go on out the door. Um, as kids, we had stuff that we took with us that we didn't really have to think about because it was so important to us and it, we just needed it. As we needed it so much that they became things like security blankets, right? That's the name. So go ahead. If you guys had a security blanket, go ahead and put it in the chat. Tell us you had a security blanket. Or maybe um, this little guy up here, whoops, that's uh, Soso, a sock monkey. That was the little guy that I carried around with me when, when I was younger. Um, for some people, it's a blanket. I know Ben had a blanket. Maybe he'll share in the chat what his blanket's name was. Um, you know, my, my boys had, uh, I think one of them was a panda. One of them carried a, a Bakugan thing around with them all the time. Just different stuff that we carry around with us wherever we go. So have that image in your mind, right, of like a security blanket of a child. As we think about where we go, there are certain things that we bring with us no matter what. And it, we all carry um, like a, a vibe or an attitude or a feeling. And that's what Jesus brought with him wherever he went. Because his primary relationship, the relationship around which he organized his life was his relationship with his father, he was able to bring peace with him wherever he went. And so that's our big idea for today. If we keep God as this central organizing relationship in our lives, we bring his peace and a non-anxious presence with us wherever we go. And man, I can't think of a time in my life when a peaceful, non-anxious presence is more necessary wherever any of us choose to go. And we can take that peaceful, non-anxious presence, and that's what I'm talking about. We can go and we can disrupt Fairfield County. The anxiety and the stress of Fairfield County, we can disrupt it with this peace that we have in Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at one snippet from Jesus' life where he brought this peaceful, non-anxious presence into a really stressful situation and see what we can learn from it, maybe identify a couple obstacles that there might be in there and what we can do about moving forward through those obstacles so that we can be that peaceful, non-anxious presence. I'm going to read to you a big chunk of scripture right now. This is from John chapter 11. It's, I'm going to start in verse 1 and we're going to go all the way through verse 44. Here we go. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death, 
Notice, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the, in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come to the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When Jesus, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly, sorry, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of, of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to the man, said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The obvious high point of the 44 verses was the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And it, it talks to Jesus' power 
over death. Even over death, Jesus has power over it. But there is so much more in this passage for us to learn from Jesus in the way that he interacted along this, this journey of, of resurrection for Lazarus. So I want to take a look at the, the tensions that we can see in, in this passage. Right? If we look at the relational tensions that exist, so first of all, Jesus is, he said, let's go, let's go back there. His life was at jeopardy. It was in jeopardy. He was taking his very life in his hands by going back to where he needed to go to heal Lazarus. Um, then there were the disciples. Uh, unfortunately, per usual for the disciples, they were confused and they were, they were a little bit afraid. And that was, they were kind of putting that on, on Jesus. And then there's Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus, who arguably probably had the hardest, roughest three or four days of, of, their, of their lives. And then there was the crowd who was, you know, putting stuff on Jesus, like, well, if he can make blind people see again, couldn't he have, like, kept this guy from dying? And then the religious leaders who aren't even in the, the story itself, but they're the ones who, were, um, who wanted to, to stone Jesus, who wanted to execute him for, for blasphemy. So you have their anger at Jesus. All these things come in, come in Jesus' way. Jesus fearful for his life. Jesus, the confusion of the people around him. The, the guilt trip that was being laid on him by, by Mary, Mary and Martha and, and some of the people in the crowd. So we look at how Jesus responded to these tensions. And this is just like a, a master class in, in humanity and in, in loving God and in loving others. And that's the first thing that Jesus did, right? We, we look at his relationship. He pointed out a couple of times that the, um, the priority for him throughout his life, but in this particular account, the priority for him was God's glory and that people would come to know that he was exactly who the prophets said he was, that he was who John the Baptist said he was, that he was who he was claiming to be. And that was, that was the priority. And throughout this, Jesus acts. He doesn't react. Sometimes when we are in a, a situation where it's stressful, we kind of jump to this reaction, and we get stressed, and the, the stress level just keeps getting amped up further and further and further. But Jesus didn't do that, right? He was not controlled by the emotions of those around him. He was able to think and move purposefully and intentionally through each step, through each one of those relational tensions, whether it was the confusion of the disciples or the anger of the religious leaders or the guilt of, of his friends. He was able to keep moving forward and not be swayed from his unique identity or from his purpose. And as we hear that, we might think like, Man, Jesus it sounds, make him sound like he was kind of like cold and a, and a robot. But that wasn't it at all. We got to keep look at the entirety of, of the, the passage. And Jesus moved with warmth and with compassion, right? He explained to the, to the disciples again. He explained who he was and what his purpose was and why he had to go and face things like the angry religious leaders. He was... He, mourned with he felt he felt the hard emotions that Mary and Martha and the, 
those others who were mourning. He felt those emotions, but he was not controlled by them. He didn't get entangled in those emotions so that he was swayed to do anything except that which he knew to be the right thing. And it said multiple times that he was troubled and that he, that he was moved. So Jesus was able to, um, to feel with his friends, but he was able to move purposefully, right? Because he kept his eyes on that primary organizing relationship that was his relationship with his father so he could stay true to his purpose and yet at the same time care for his friends. So how did the, um, the relationships, how did Jesus steer clear of um, the relational traps that kind of await for us? Right, and I, I broke them down in these two two kind of different pieces. Right, there's external. There's the the traps that could come from from the outside. Jesus could have been swayed to do lots of other things. He could have handled this situation in lots of other ways. Um, the when we think about the our relationships with others, all of our relationships are subject to the um, the conditions of human frailty. Right, if you remember back to John's message about our sin nature, the rabbit and the carrot, um, we are all affected by this sin nature, and that's going to be true of all of our, our relationships. And that manifests itself uh, in things like um, gossip and judgment and disappointment. Or worse yet, it could be, um, it could be things like uh, abuse or, or neglect even, just really, really hard things that come at us in relationships from other people. Then there are those relational temptations that kind of stir up within us. Things like um, insecurity and self-doubt and, and fear. Like Jesus could, have, Jesus could have been afraid of what was gonna happen to his relationship. Like, oh man, Lazarus is sick. I better go, I better go right now or Mary and Martha are gonna be really mad at me. But he didn't, he didn't do that. He was secure enough in who he was and what his purpose was to move forward with intention and not react. He could have reacted to, to the relig religious leaders. Oh man, those guys are really mad. They're gonna try to kill me. I better not go. But he didn't. He faced up to that. Jesus was so um, secure in who he was and in his relation because of his relationship with his father that he was able to move through this stuff with intention and with compassion all at the same time. Because he had that central organizing relationship, he loved God first, he was able to love others in the way with, in which they were intended to be loved. If we flip those two around, right, if we allow other people to occupy that spot in our lives that was created for Jesus to occupy, not only do we suffer individually, but we can't care for those around us in the way that we would want to. If you truly want to be the best spouse, the best parent, the best worker, the best student, the best friend, you will put everything that you have into your relationship with Jesus. And then out of the overflow of that relationship, you can offer that to those around you. You can offer the best of who you are to those, to those around you. So we kind of, in this example, we see how Jesus did not allow other people to occupy that, um, that central organizing spot. And it's not just other people, right? Jesus fought against the, the prevailing religious system, right? So it's not just other people 
that can vie for that, that central organizing spot in our lives. Jesus was dependent and obedient to one person and one person only, that was God the Father. He w- and you carry it forward, like I was saying, it's not just people, there are things, there are ideas. Um, for us, there are even hopes and dreams that could occupy that central spot in our lives that take things over. And I could think of um, nothing more timely of an example than the election coming up on, on Tuesday. right? If, as, we, as we think about this election and the state of our, our country, um, one of the reasons, and this is my speculation, that the level of tension and anxiety in our country is so high is because there are so many people who have put all of their hope, all of their trust, all of their dreams for the future onto a candidate or onto a political party. And if the right candidate wins, the correct candidate wins, the correct party wins, then everything, all their problems are going to be saved. Their other problems are going to be fixed. All right, so let's, let's think about that for a second. What if, what if your candidate loses? Then you had all your eggs in that one basket and you're, you're just, you're out of luck. Right, so on the other hand, what if, what if your candidate wins? And we know all too well because of how nasty the, the run-up to this election has been and the mudslinging that's going on, we know all too well the weaknesses of each candidate. And even if we didn't have that, we would still know that they're only human and they're going to let people down and they're going to make mistakes. Right, Jesus is the only one who will not make mistakes, who will not fail us, who will not let us down, will not leave us nor forsake us. Right, so we can't, we can't put our trust, our hope, we cannot be, can't put our dependence upon a candidate. So maybe it's not even, maybe it's not even a candidate that, in which you're placing all your trust. Maybe it's a party that they, that they represent. So let's think that one through for a second. If we put a political party in that central spot, that's going to that's gonna save us, that's going to define us, that's going to give us meaning. So if, for your sake, the correct party wins, and as a result of that party winning, maybe abortion gets banned, and there are thousands and thousands of lives that are saved. But at the same time, there are thousands of lives that are destroyed because of that party's immigration policies. What if it's the other party that happens to win, and for you, that's the correct party? And... That party wins, and as a result, every American has great health care. But at the same time, because of that party's policies, every American's ability and liberty to exercise their faith as they see fit is restricted or curtailed or even eliminated. There's not, there's not a win if we place all of our hope in a candidate or in a party. So what... What are, we, what are we to do? Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and we have him as the central organizing relationship in our lives. We allow him to speak to us, right? So we don't, we don't run away from the political party. We don't, um, that's, Jesus didn't run away, right? He engaged. He engaged in a meaningful way. So here's, here's what I would say about this, about this Tuesday. And not just about this Tuesday, but all around, Pray. Right? Scripture tells us that we are to pray for our governmental officials. 
That's a, a, a command in the, page, in the pages of the Bible. So pray. And that you would also pray for wisdom and for guidance on what to do with your vote. Um, then I would encourage you to educate yourself. Right? Do the research on the candidates, on the policies. Do the research politically, but also do the research biblically. Right? That's the filter as followers of Jesus, with Jesus as the central organizing relationship in our lives. That's the filter through which we should see everything. If there's an issue that you don't know how to vote, run it through the lens of Scripture. And then finally, I would encourage you to engage in the process with a sense of humility and a sense of understanding. What do I mean by that? If you are going to vote for X and you have a family member who's going to vote for Y, great. Have a conversation about it. With a sense of humility, ask questions. Seek understanding. Right? If, if th there's something that comes up in your social feed, a friend or an acquaintance posts something inflammatory, and you feel called to respond to it, don't do it in the comments. Send them a direct message. Better yet, you know what? Better yet, take them out, offer to take them out to lunch and sit down and have a conversation. Not to try to win an argument, but again, in that sense of humility, asking questions, seeking understanding so that you might grow in your knowledge and your understanding and you might help move that person one step closer to Jesus. We cannot allow a person to occupy that spot inside of us that was reserved for Jesus. We cannot allow a thing to occupy that spot inside of us that was reserved for Jesus because they will all let us down. Jesus is the only one that won't let us down. And when we do, right, when we allow Jesus to occupy that spot, he is our peace. We bring that peace with us. We have the confidence in our relationship. We have the confidence in our identity. We have the confidence in the purpose that he has given us. And man, when we show up with that, we bring a peaceful, non-anxious presence with us. And so one of, if not the single most important thing that you can do to develop this peaceful, non-anxious presence through a relationship with Jesus is slow down, right? I was going to do a whole other section of this message about the biblical rationale for slowing down and why we should, but instead of doing that, instead of trying to explain why, we're just going to do it. Um, ben is going to play, play a little guitar. I'm going to read a couple passages of scripture, and I just want you to be still, and I want you to slow down we're, we're, gonna, we're carving out a couple minutes for you to connect with the God of the universe who loves you and who wants to occupy that primary relationship in your life that will give you a sense of peace, that will allow you to carry peace with you wherever you might go. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let, the, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.